I don't know. It's do you have different hoodies for different purposes? You're not a coder, you're an insurance person. So I, I when am. do you actually like no, do I the mean, hoodie thingy? I, I, I think it's just the pent up of wearing a suit for, for 20 years of my career. I, I've jumped over to the uh, insure tech startup and I've embraced it. And I think I've never looked back now. Um, so this is dressed up for me today, which is, uh, which is good. But yeah, no, I think um, some days you just want to put a nice hoodie on. This kind of makes you feel good and you can get to work. Man, I should let me find let me find a tracker's hat for a second, just just for a day. <laughs> I like it. There we go. That's I like it. that's there the best go. I could, that's Thank the you. best I could find in terms of a tracker hand because we are going to talk about trackers and cover with. Yeah, well, so it's interesting. I mean, I, I think the the initial kind of startup was focused on really like in the marine kind of a, a cargo play um and kind of launching an mga that was focused on that and, and therefore kind of uh, uh you know the cover and then the whale kind of fit with that i mean obviously since then we can chat a lot about it today but you know the organization has grown pretty considerably um, really focused not just from those in, in the marine routes but uh much more to the overall commercial auto space and um yeah i mean so it, it is a it's a fun question to get i i at times, I wish we had a better response for the uh, for the genesis of the name, but it, it served us well so far. Now, I'm sure that there was a point that you thought that, you know, you talked to one of the investors at Tobin. We have a vision. One day, we're going to be the whale in this little pond of in a $6 trillion <laughs> industry. So we set the rough high. We know where we're going. It's in the name. I can see that happening. I can see that uh, the but, conversation. <laughs> Those are the conversations that are taking place now. Um, yes, I would say, you know, I mean, uh, interesting enough and we can chat about it today over the course, but we've not been heavily reliant on investors. Um, we've, uh, mm -hmm. we were a bootstrapped organization kind of built from the beginning on, you know, how do we build a long-term sustainable business that can run on its own? Um, you know, we have raised some, some money along the way, but um, much different than I think most insure tech paths. Uh, this is kind of the path that we've taken right now. So obviously a lot more conversations with investors with, with you know, what we've been able to accomplish, um, you know, to date, you know, but I'd say early days, it was like, Hey, let's just put our heads down. Let's actually build an entity. Let's bootstrap it. Uh, the $200,000 friends and family round and, and got that organization, you know, really to the point where we had processed thousands of policies. We had partners that were live for carrier partners, um, had reached cash flow positive at that point and then, and then did go do a seed round where we raised, you know, just under 16 million, um, which really gave us an opportunity to kind of just build into who you are today. And that, that round took place a little under two years ago. So, yeah, I mean, now we are having conversations about, you know, conquering the world <laughs> and being the world. Um, but, you know, it, it only happens at a point when, you know, it's better to, I guess I'd say deliver uh, rather than just mm -hmm. talk about things. So, you know, a massive pre-beam run rate right now, kind of close to, you know, just last month with our best month puts us kind of closer to 400 million. Um, you know, so from that standpoint, now it is a case of like, okay, we've got loss ratios in the low 50s. Um, you know, how do we grab some more of that wow. market share as long as we can do it profitably? Wow. Since we already broke the, the frame or the structure that usually I have on the podcast, let's continue with this. So uh, who led yeah. your 
your first founding round and who are the, the founders? Sorry. Who are, who are the investors? Yeah. And then we talk about the founders. Yeah, I mean, it's probably easy for me. I'll give you a little bit of background on myself because that will kind of maybe take us through the story of, of the fundraising. So, you know, I started my career on the underwriting side. Um, I, I joined out of, you know, a finance major out of college and did what, you know, uh, most people do is just landed up in insurance through dumb luck. But, but started on the underwriting side through Genry, which is a Berkshire Hathaway entity, and then Swiss Re. Um, and, you know, maybe I was there for about five or six years and then decided to make the leap over to reinsurance broking. So kind of what I'd call the dark side, uh, spent about a decade at, at, at Willis Re at the time, kind of went through a little bit of a midlife crisis at the time of insurance. Of, do I want to stay? Do I want to go? Um, ended up going back and get my MBA and, you know, I'd say maybe halfway through that first year of my MBA, I just kind of really realized that maybe the grass wasn't always greener on the other side and, and found that, you know, insurance. Um, had a ton to offer. And um, it was, though, at that point where I, I did kind of realize I, I wanted to get more towards the entrepreneurial side of the business um, and either go launch something or get closer to, you know, a smaller kind of earlier startup company where I could at least, you know, I don't know, I like to say kind of move the dial. Um, I joined Tiger Risk at the time, and, and I was over there to really launch their, their specialty casualty division as well as led their InsurTech segment. So, now, this gets to maybe your question, but, you know, as I was kind of leader at the InsurTech segment um, of Tiger, I did have an opportunity to meet, you know, many different kind of tech founders that would come through the door looking for capital, looking for capacity or looking for advisory services, uh, most of which were, you know, tech founders who were, you know, couldn't really spell insurance, but wanted to disrupt this archaic business called insurance. Um, you know, one of those, you know, founders that I did get a chance to meet was, was Dan Abrahamson, our, our founder and CEO. Uh, so very early days, got to work with Coverwell. They became one of my clients. I helped launch a couple early stage programs while I was still at Tiger. And then I guess, you know, looking back, it was, I guess we like to say maybe a year job interview for both of us just to see if, uh, you know, both of us wanted to work together. And then uh, made the leap about, you know, a little under two years ago to join as president of Coverwell. Um, but really, I think that the conversation with Dan of me joining was really like, what, what did he want out of this organization? Did he want to take the opportunity to really, you know, put his foot on the gas and, and try to accomplish something special here? Um, not to say that building an MGA isn't special, but uh, I think, you know, we very clearly saw that there was an opportunity. As I'd mentioned, you know, we were at the time cash flow positive, we were making money, um, but we did go out and we, we found some really good partners through a seed round where we raised just under $16 million. That seed round was led by AMBAC Financial. Um, they've got a subsidiary, mm -hmm. Ever, Everspan. Yeah. Evers, yeah. Everspan is you know, one of our largest participatory fronts. Um, and they've been a great partner. They've been fantastic along the way and, and helped kind of you know, be very strategic to us as we build our business. Mm -hmm. um, you know, equally, think, you know, Tiger Risk was a, you know investor once I kind of left. I think they were very happy to also support me in the, the next step in my career. So, um, yeah, you know, I had the opportunity to... to yeah, I had the opportunity to talk with Steve uh, several times about his strategy in, in terms of the MGM and how the MGAs and how they approach that from uh, MBEC and stuff like that. And they are doing very interesting moves in the industry and kudos to them. But sorry, I interrupted that. Interrupted you in the flow. No, 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 no. So, that was good. I mean, that was, yeah, that was spot on. I mean, I think that those are, those are the investors though, so. Yeah, but it happened mm -hmm. about a little over a year and a half ago. It's been a good relationship with them. But yeah, we are obviously 
it talks now. Um, just the growth of the business has gotten to the point of the next kind of plateau for us. And I think we're at the point where, yeah, I think we want to reinvest in the business, continue to, to really capitalize on, on what we're trying to build here. So, so Amber are great, right? They are, that's their business, especially Evergreen. They, they see that I would, I consider them as a strategic investors and the leaders in your case, who else invested in you? Was it pure uh, VCs or also insurance companies that, you know, invested out of their balance sheet? Yeah, no, I mean, it was really truly limited to a couple angel investors, um, Tiger Risk, mm -hmm. you know, once, once I decided to yep. leave, they, they did kind of one of their subsidiaries put money in and then AMBAC. So we definitely were in conversations with a couple of different suitors, but we felt like those were the best strategic partners for, for us for that next step. So um you know to date those are really it other than some friends and family so it's been very limited we've tried to be very resourceful we've tried to be very smart we we, we do you know want to spend our, our our money wisely um and make sure that yeah we're not getting out over our skis we want to be able to execute on the business we have and, and really i think that's been kind of the focus to date for sure yeah i think it's a very interesting landscape in terms of the investments as because we've seen several waves of types of investments and most of them started with, oh, we are a big reinsurance. Let's invest from our balance sheet into this company because we see that strategic opportunity. A few of them uh, originated with AXA Ventures, etc. Yep. Oh, we actually have a venture arm. Let's structure it and put in uh, American Family Ventures. Now I think that now they finally have a second LP, not just AMFAM. And, but, and then, of course, you have the specialized uh, funds that go to the insurance companies like, hey, we'll, we'll invest you. We'll invest it for you, right? And we'll do something that will also somehow pay to your strategic insight and where you're going with the, with the company and the ecosystem itself. Let's talk about the team, the founding team, and I'm sure that people ask you that. And we joked about it earlier. Yeah. You and Daniel. We are not. Brothers. I know it's <laughs> yeah. exactly. Thank you very much. Yeah, completely brothers. different. Compl of course, not even not I, even I would, related. Be, I would be the younger, better looking one if we were, but we are not. <laughs> I have a feeling that they will disagree, but uh, mm -hmm. sure, let's go with that, man. <laughs> Fair enough. So where, where do you guys stand now? What's the size of the team in, yeah. you know, 2023? Is that an opportunity for you? Or is it everyone is just shaking and not really sure what's going on? Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's exciting times for us. So we, uh, we're, we're probably north of about 150 kind of employees and contractors right now. Um, you look back, you know, two years ago and we were, yeah, I mean, single, low single digits, right? So from that standpoint, it's been a, a big growth you know, story from a standpoint of not just kind of our business, but also the people, um, you know, we are very, very aggressively trying to attract a talent people though. Um, that is where I spend a ton of my time. You know, we are, you know, I think as we kind of look at this inflection point, I am spending a ton of time with investors as well and getting to know them to see who maybe could be the next strategic partner for us as we lead forward. Um, but I think right now, even just in a meeting with our chief people officer this morning, I think we have 32 job openings right now so we are really trying to take advantage i think some of this dislocation in the market um not just the tech field but also a lot of these insure techs most of 
lay people off. Um, you know, a ton of opportunity to hopefully attract some really strong talent. talent. Um, and of course, I could just, you know, use this as an opportunity to build on the business. It, it is the business itself at, at the core is, is in a really good shape. And, you know, we're at a really nice point in time where we can invest in the business, attract big people. So, um, yeah, I'd say probably north of 150, but, but uh, yeah, probably that, that'll grow pretty considerably through 2023. Yeah, the talent challenge is very interesting. It's a great opportunity to find amazing talent that just for the, I don't know, 10% cut was laid off or saw a new opportunity because things didn't work out. And I was, uh, so I don't know, uh, most likely this episode will go out in two weeks. A few days ago, I commented on a LinkedIn post by uh, Neil Perry from CyberRite, another buddy. And he basically hired uh, Hamot May from, uh, who used to be in Allianz. And my point there was, this is, everyone is talking about the recession, but look, who is hiring whom and why? And, and that will give you not the red flag, the green flag. These are the startups that are actually have the agility and the resources to hire the best talent and even increase the growth. They're already on a good trajectory up. They're going even higher. And yeah, I'm just echoing things that I said, but yeah, for yeah. you, especially if you're profitable and you have runway, that's the time, you know, to spread the net. Although yep. net, it's a, you just get a larger population. You really need to cherry pick no matter what it is. Yeah, I mean, I think like, look, I think building a culture through COVID is very difficult, right? I think that's something that, you know, is a challenge for, I think we're not the only one that, that, that I'd say at times struggled through that. Um, you know, we've been now working together um, and yeah, we're, we're double down committed on trying to really um, make sure that we are, like, look, startups aren't for everyone, right? Um, I think some people think that they want to work at a startup. Uh, but it's clearly, it is a different kind of mindset here in order to be successful. Um, it takes a different type of person and, you know, we are spending a lot of time and energy to try and, you know, flush that out from both sides, not just trying to attract a talent, but making sure that a talent understand what they're getting into with cover whale. Um, it's a huge, it's an amazing opportunity for what we're building. Um, but it's, there's a sense of urgency. There's an opportunity here. We are going to take advantage of it. Um, but we, we push pretty hard. Um, it's not something that I won't be in the trenches with somebody. It's not something Dan won't. Um, it, it is very clear. Like we're all kind of arms are locked, but it, it is, uh, to your point, it, it's very time consuming to get the right people that are going to fit that culture. I think we are still uh, on a growing side as an organization, but, but that culture piece is, is extremely important to us. Um, mm -hmm. you know, it's a bit of a work hard, play hard mentality. And you just want to make sure that you, you know, we're, we're spending a lot of time and energy trying to solve problems. You want to make sure you're doing it with people that you really like. So, so when we look at, you know, fighting in the trenches, building an insurance company, if you're in early stage and you'll come to me, one of the things that I will ask you first is like, do you have a distribution channel? Then... Yeah. Do you know how to underwrite or what is the niche? Are you, sure. if you are a car insurance, don't talk to me, man, and think about the new idea. <laughs> but that's, you know, something else. So, uh, by the way, what are you using for your distribution channel? Yeah, so our distribution right now is really traditional channels. We work through uh, traditional retailers and wholesalers. 
I think in our minds, mm-hmm. you know, look, these, these partners of ours, they control business. Um, they add value in the value chain. And they've been very helpful for us to kind of access the business that really fits our appetite. So um, I, I think that's kind of been the key piece through distribution to date. And with that, as you are fighting in the trenches, it's all about the combined ratio. So how, and we, we talked about it earlier, how do you manage a 50 points combined ratio? Yeah, so not, not combined ratio, but that, that low 50 oh, would be okay, a projected sorry. ultimate loss ratio. So if you think about that, okay, we still, still would say it's still market leading, um, mm-hmm. so, you know, from sure. But, you know, we are, so if you think about it, um, you know, Coverwell, I would say we are a tech company focused on really changing the landscape of insurance and really trying to make the world safer. So we're doing that by bringing a proprietary tech-enabled platform that leverages and I'd say most importantly, digest just massive amounts of data um, that's real time and really with the goal of try to, you know, more accurately price the risk up front. Um, now, you know, right now we're, as a firm, we are an MGA, so we're focused on commercial auto space, as we've talked on, and, you know, trucking has kind of been our, our backbone to start. We've expanded into commercial auto. Um, but look, look, in the end, for any insure tech or even a traditional player, it's about pricing risk and who can do it better who can do it faster, who can do it more accurately. There's a ton of data that exists out there, but who can digest it, who can make sense of it? You know, I think the class of maybe InsureTech 1.0, maybe prioritize growth at all costs. I think our, our view is, is much different. Um, leading that movement of bottom line profitability is, is key. And I think it does start with, we've got to have, we have a lot of tech people that, um, you know, at the core, I think like many of us are insurance people in this organization. We, we are utilizing tech to really find the efficiencies in the model. How do we leverage data to get to a better outcome when it comes to, you know, pricing the business up front? And then really, you know, I think trying to get visibility into the risks that we're um, putting on, you know, our partner's balance sheet, but really get visibility real time. So we have continuous underwriting models that are taking place so that we are through telemetry data, second by second, you know, we're able to analyze our insureds and, and identify who the riskiest of those insureds are and then quite frankly coach them to make them less risky before the event takes place. So it is a balance of, you know, hey, taking that data, processing it, digesting it very quickly to, you know, provide a value proposition to our distribution partners where within seconds we're able to offer them an instantaneous bindable quote. Um, as well as then, hey, how do we now, once the insured is, is on our partner's balance sheet, how do we monitor that? How do we provide, you know, embedded loss control to really kind of limit the loss before it does it, it happens, if that makes sense. It makes sense. And I, I'm just trying to visualize it. How the driver, is it the driver who received the information or the business owner? So, you know, both. I mean, in a way, many of the insurers that we work on are owner operators, single power units. So for okay. those folks, mm-hmm. you know, it, they are both. Um, and other aspects of it, it, it could be somebody more, you know, our focus has been on more of the small fleet. So it is both. It, it's, you know, coaching is going directly to the driver. Also, the owner is aware that, hey, driver number seven, you know, has, you know, is fed, you know, 10 times in the last 10,000 miles. And that's higher than, you know, 97% of our other drivers. And, and here's some coaching things that we'll do. So it is a bit of a, a, a twofold. Um, but oftentimes it is direct to the driver and letting them know, like, look, you know, many of these, you know, drivers, they, they do look to us as their, their loss control. Um, they, they want their vehicles to be on the road. 
from that standpoint, yeah. you know, for, for many, especially these owner operators, uh, you know, if their vehicle's not on the road for two, three weeks because of a fender bender or something else, maintenance, they could be out of business. So I, I think it is, you know, I think coupling it with, you know, coaching appropriately to the drivers, but then also making sure that the business owners are aware. Um, you know, I think that's been a, a learning curve for us, quite frankly, to make sure we were communicating, you know, appropriately to the right stakeholder. But it's been something that I think we've, we've really fine tuned over the last couple of years, but, but also an area where we're just getting started in. So it's exciting when we think about the data that we get um, and what we can do with that um, from a standpoint of even gamification on the positive side of things for, for the good drivers and, and how we kind of retain those. Um, so it is, it's kind of a fun point in time where we've got a ton of data and we've been at this now for three years. Um, and, you know, I think unlike many insurance carriers, you know, a lot of them have, you know, lost data and premium data. And then there's a lot of telematics providers that have that second by second telemetry data, but they can't couple that with insurance loss or premium. So we've got both and we are at a point in time where there's, hmm. you know, statistical credibility that, you know, still while we could argue whether our projected ultimate is going to be loss ratio is going to be 53 or it's going to be 56. Um, you know, directionally, the data that we have gives us really strong confidence of, of what we're building. And, you know, I think kind of where we're going, you know, I mean, I think that's, that's what's exciting. I, I wouldn't say that we figured it all out. I think we're learning every day. Um, you know, but it, it is, that's the point in time where we are in our life cycle that, you know, we're kind of in the roll up our sleeves and, and try to see what we can find out and get any insights we can from this data. Now, when I, I went on the website and as a prep for this conversation, I was very impressed that you show a map of the different products and if you are admitted, if you are selling the insurance through other channels and the different states that you're actually operating in. What made you choose? And it's more, you know, now it's more of a, let's call it a behind the scenes insurance conversation. Why are you admitted in a few of them, which surprisingly in Florida, you are an admitted, uh, provide, uh, admitted product versus other states? Yeah, so there's, certain, yeah. Yeah, no, so there's certain states where you, you, you really need to be an admitted, uh, you have to have admitted product offering. Um, you're unable to kind of offer non-admitted. Um, so from that standpoint, I mean, you know, some of it is just geographically kind of uh, determined by the actual state themselves. Um, you know, in our minds, though, we, we right now we work with about 10 different kind of carrier partners, different programs are set up, you know, in our minds, you know, right now, we, we believe in what we're doing, we believe in from a standpoint of the loss ratios, but, but also too, from a standpoint of we want our partners to grow with us um, at their comfort level, right? So, so some of our partners want to, you know, start in a, a certain geographic region, maybe stay away from a certain geographic region, um, some want to kind of, hey, just trust Coverwell and say, look, you guys are the experts. Let us fully do a trust fall. Um, and you tell us how to build a portfolio of X amount of premium. Uh, but it is, it, it, it's really kind of been driven off of our partners and that geographic expansion. So you know, I think at the core, I would say the thesis from our side is though, we've got a very conservative kind of underwriting appetite early years. I think it is the insurance. You know, I, I spent the two decades in kind of the reinsurance and program launching and, and begging for capacity. Um, and that's not lost on me, right? You know, you think you can't burn your capacity partners. That is important for uh, what we're going to build. And, you know, in our minds, we'd rather be more conservative in the early years, have that data come through, 
gain some more credibility, get smarter every day, and, and then, you know, really get more shots at the top of the funnel. So, you know, I think if it, you think about it with very little kind of increase in appetite, you know, we, we issued about 6,000 quotes last January versus, you know, 35,000 quotes just this January. So we are getting more cracks at it, at the, at the plate, um, which is allowing us to grow, but we don't have to, you know, go out and chase business. We don't have to go out and chase business from a price standpoint. You know, our technology has, has really, really strong efficiency to allow us to handle increased flow, increased shots, uh, but not have to go hire, you know, a hundred new underwriters every year. That makes sense. And that's the beauty about technology and especially AI that helps you to scale decisions, right? It's not just, right. okay, I need another person to do that or there is a certain algorithm that can do that with a marginal cost of almost zero and handle the larger population, uh, which is not easy because even an algorithm, if it's a simple one or actually with an AI and ML behind it, there is a lot of money that goes to make that happen and maintain it. And people go like, ah, AI. Yeah, no, I mean, like, look, I think that is, you know, the, the amazing thing about it is, you know, we do as a leadership team, we, we talk a lot about you know, where the business has been, where the business needs to go. Um, the beauty is, is there's no, there's no real, like, you know, firm roadmap that says this is how you build an insure tech. Um, you really have to be willing to push forward as quickly as possible, but then learn. Um, we get a lot wrong here. Um, you know, the team, it's very uncomfortable at times to just say, hey, we're going to move with 80% certainty. We're going to make decisions and we're going we're gonna to go. Um, and I think for some people that come from maybe larger organizations, that's very you know, uncomfortable, right? They're moving quicker. They want to get to 100% certainty before they put the plan in motion. Um, you know, but I think it, it is, it, it's where do we deploy the AI? How do we use the data? How do we really kind of reduce friction with our distribution partners? How do we make it instead of, you know, hey, two minutes to get an, you know, bindable quote, how do we get it to seconds? Um, those are all, you know, really items that are conflicting from a sense of, you know, you do have limited bandwidth, you do have limited tech resources. Um, so where do you deploy them? Um, and that's, I think, the fun thing that we're kind of in as you, you really try to build a business. You got to get to that core, you know, in our minds, the loss ratio is the North star for us. Everything will come together. If we can deliver market leading loss ratios, um, expense ratio, the technology is helping to take care of that. Right. You know, from a standpoint of, uh, I think, uh, if we were full stock insurance carrier, where our loss ratios are about 60% of our competition and, and that alone, you know, that's where we deploy the technology. Um, you know, which is once again, it gives you a lot of flexibility to kind of have some fun with maybe where you want to utilize the data, how you want to look at it, where do you want to kind of, you know, put the AI and things like that. So um, every day it changes, which is, you know, fun and also a little nerve wracking, right? <laughs> so connects back to your North Star is the expense ratio and the combined ratio and understanding that this is the way to grow. This is how you build an insurance company. And like the first generations that we've seen that started with what we've seen in regular startups, it's like, oh, let's get traction. Now we have users, not policyholders. We have so many users, or we have this type of KPIs. But as much as I love specific uh, startups that went public and cost me 
depred on my portfolio. Um, yeah, they, yeah, they still need to work on their combined ratio. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's the interesting thing, right? I, I, I think it is. We've gotten to this point with ever without really setting out to say, hey, we wanted to reach this milestone by this time frame. Um, you know, in our minds, it was that that North Star is always going to hold true for loss ratio. Everything we will do, um, but we'll grow as much as we possibly can as long as that North Star holds. You know, I, I do think you know, with, with a high level of certainty, I, I, I can put the stake in the ground that says we are the fastest growing InsureTech ever. I think we are the most profitable InsureTech to date. Um, we've done it on very little money raised at $16 million. You know, not that's a one six, not 160 or 600 like many of our competitors, and and we've done it where we're cash flow positive. You know, in our minds, mm-hmm. you've got to run a big, you you got to run a business, and I think when you have all that, like you you really you've got enough bumpers that are up where you're not going to get out over your skis, you're not going to chase business, um, you know. But you know, I think in a way, maybe that approach also did afford us. You know, I don't know if we would have raised, you know, a couple hundred million dollars. I'm guessing we would have made some bad moves early days, um, like many of these other folks did. Now we're at the point, I think we understand our business. We know what our business needs to get to that next level. And I mean, I think this is the point where we're at that inflection point again. Of like, look, we can continue on this path. Um, but I think in our minds, this is once again, let's let's double down. Let's triple down mm-hmm. and, you know, and really try to fuel that growth. But but once again, it is not for top line profitability or sorry, top line numbers. It's bottom line profitability. Um, you know, we will, you know, we've got, as I said, some very strong kind of partners, um, many of which are, you know, two decades plus relationships I personally have with them. And mm-hmm. I don't take that lightly. Uh, I know how hard it is to attract that kind of capacity and the relationships. And, you know, that, that's an area for us that I think is it's exciting. Um, you know, but we want to do right by our partners. We are kind of stewards of their capital and we believe in it. We take risks from a standpoint of um, we'll do well if they'll do well, uh, you know, from that standpoint. So we're kind of all in it together. Our interests are aligned properly. Um, but it is, I think it, it, it's, you know, InsureTech right now is maybe not the, the best word to throw around um, with maybe some of, uh, you know, maybe the past, the past issues. But um, I don't, you know, I don't think we, we, we care what we get called. Uh, I think we're just really proud of what we've built kind of focused on the opportunity. It really is about execution. Um, you know, I think that that's truly where we are at this point in our life cycle. We don't have to go out and do anything crazy. Um, the business is coming to us and, you know, we've got to really just execute on it and, and continue to kind of pull, I don't know, it's almost like a mosaic of like 50 things we've got to do right. Um, it's not just one, like, right. One thing is not going mm-hmm. to save us. Um, we've got to piece this yeah. all together. It's you know, moving the plinkos around. And, and I think that's kind of, you know, once again, it's the challenge, but it's also the fun aspect of what, what we're trying to build today. Can't agree with you more. Okay, now, because we completely broke the common structure that I have for this podcast, which we start with, you know, some sort of a hobby and show your personality and we just jumped in. And I have no idea how we're going to cut this episode to the different chapters because it went like all over the place. Let me jump to the first question and then the last question that I usually ask people. And the first question we normally, we just, you know, sort of slide into that conversation about, you know, 
a hobby, the personality, the fact that you you play you you're coaching or are you a, a, the job? What do you exactly yeah. with them? Is it minor leagues? Yeah, no, yeah. So uh, I I coach uh, a couple different coach. basketball. Yeah, coach a couple different basketball teams right now. We're in AAU, so my son is 13 years old. The travel AAU, pretty competitive um, league. So um, we're kind of in that mode right now. So that's kind of where we spend a, a lot of uh, you know nights when I'm not up here in New York at the office um, and the weekends for sure. But uh, you know, kind of fun ages with the kids. I mean, they're definitely you know pains, but they're also like great ages with 14, 13, and nine. So they're keeping us busy for sure. Um, you know, like to kind of also you know, do anything kind of outside ski and different stuff with them. They're, they're like I said, just really at, at fun ages where, you know, even something like that, it's still cool to be with dad. Most other times it's not. So I'll, I'll take it while I can get it. Well, if the kid is a uh, 13, uh, a few more months, maybe yeah. you, and that's, <laughs> that's it right. done. That's right. Then it's like, ah, dad, then it's, I don't know. After college, they realize that parents are good again. I, I don't recall. Whenever they need a check, it's fine. No worries. I, I don't yeah, no, That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, my last question to you is, can you give the audience a word of advice? It can be a recommendation. It can be a, about a book that you read recently, an amazing restaurant, a destination for travel, some sort of a managerial tip whatever you think people should know. Yeah. I mean, look, I think like, look, one of the things if I look back on my just, you know, personal life, my, you know, career, I think where we sit at Coverwell today. Um, look, I, I do just give people personal advice. Like life is hard. Life is difficult. And I think, you know, look, I think you got to have grit while you're going through it. I think that is, I think, a very important aspect. I do talk about that with my kids. They get annoyed, but roll their eyes of, oh, God, here comes another lecture from dad. But, you know, that, that is, I think, important in, in all aspects of life. Um, and it prepares you for, for whatever kind of you're faced with, you know, whatever kind of challenge you're faced with. Um, you know, and I, I think, like, as I mentioned earlier, like, look, I think what we are building is it's hard. This isn't easy. There's plenty of other places to work uh, that are much easier jobs. But I think, you know, when you, you kind of have grit, when you're going after something that's kind of, you know, and you're able to persevere through it, I, I think the reward will be there. And, and, and I don't view it as the reward as any certain milestone of, you know, reaching a fundraising round um, or doing X or doing Y. In my mind is like, you got to actually, in a, in a weird kind of way, you got to love the journey. Um, nobody's really going to pat you on the back. Um, you know, so if you don't truly love that journey, you know, whether that is, you know, training for a sport as a young child, um, it's not just about holding the trophy at the end. It's like, you actually got to love those summer workouts where you're sweating and exhausted. And, you know, same thing with like work here. I mean, I think if you're not, you know, enjoying the journey to, to really solve the problems that are facing the fire drills that pop up on a Friday afternoon, it's probably not for you, you know, and go find maybe something else that would make you happier. So. I'd say, uh, you know, kind of having grit in all aspects of your life, that'd probably be the, the one thing I would pass along to the audience. I love it. I think that people don't understand what grit is. And I don't have too much access to the younger generation. But I would recommend with that, send your kids. Actually, it's not only kids. It's adults as well, no matter what's your age. If you want to practice grit, go pick up 
a martial art because it as judo or nowadays it's more of the jiu-jitsu stuff you need to learn how to fall on your back and lose how yeah. to face so many failures and stand up because that's what it is it's great is the ability to bounce back uh, connect to humble your I don't know humble it uh, and knowing how okay failed I can try again I'm going to fail again how can I be yep. better what how can I make sure that I will survive two more seconds a minute get an epon was whatever that you need to In order to move to the next step and it's it's not simple it's it's very hard mentally physically and that's a great way to practice it I, I I love the fact that you brought it because you know I hear so especially in startups many people talk about grit but they don't really know how to define it and this is this is wonderful great opportunity Kevin yeah thank you appreciate very, the time very today. much yeah thank Likewise. you